Good morning. Scripture reading this morning is found in Acts chapter 2, and I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version. So if you'll turn to Acts chapter 2, exciting piece of Scripture that Tom's going to be preaching on this morning. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions And we're sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Let's bow in prayer, shall we? Lord, uh, we stand in awe of your glory. A glory we cannot describe. A glory we cannot define. A glory we can't even behold. No words can capture it. They all fail. It is too much for us. Your glory is incomprehensible, unsearchable, unknowable, beyond our understanding. And yet, your word proclaims it. Your creation declares it. The heavens shout it. And the angels call out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. So we ask, Lord, who are we? Who are we that in light of your glory that you should even take thought of us? We ask ourselves why we should boast in ourselves. Why we should even take pride in ourselves and not in you, in your glory. And yet, in your divine will, you have made us your children, children of the God of glory. What an honor, what a privilege, what a blessing. So we ask for strength to live as the children of the God of glory, always honoring, always praising, always worshiping, the one who loves us so. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, George. So that passage says that they devoted themselves to these things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the gathering, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, to prayers. What does devoted mean? 
devoted. Devoted themselves. Committed, right? I mean, it's committed. They committed themselves to doing this thing. It was an act of their will to do this. It um, would give off the sense of frequency that they would do these things over and over again. They are, there were people just like you and me. Just like you and me. There's a pattern there that is prescriptive for us that we ought to follow, and that is to be devoted to these things, committed to these things. And it takes discipline. Because sometimes we're called to do things we don't feel like it. And it's in those moments true devotion happens. So today we begin a new series. For about nine weeks, Pastor Aaron has laid out for us, we are going to talk about spiritual fitness. It has to do with discipline. It's also called, they are also called the spiritual disciplines. We're not going to cover every spiritual discipline that there is. I don't know if there's the perfect list, but we're going to hit on a number of them. Spiritual fitness. Think of our spiritual life as a muscle that needs to be exercised, that needs to be developed in order for it or us to be healthy. And so that's what this is all about. In order for us to be healthy, that's why we do those things. Um, There's a book called um, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. And in it, the author has a great preface, and his introduction is really good. I want to bring some thoughts to you about that, about what is this thing of spiritual fitness, this thing of spiritual discipline. They are really practices that promote spiritual growth. They're practices in our life that promote spiritual growth. You could even think there's just the parallel to our physical health. It just lines right up. In order to be healthy physically, we do exercises. And there are different exercises that we do. Same with spiritual fitness and spiritual health. We do those things. Maybe we'll call it on the sanctification road. I like that. Sounds like a movie or something. (laughs) On the sanctification road. That word sanctification means that God is doing something in us and, he's trans- and what he's doing in us is transforming our lives that we might look more like him. That's what it's about. And that's what spiritual disciplines are about. It's to help us to become more like him. So here are some aspects of spiritual disciplines. There are personal and there are interpersonal spiritual disciplines. Personal meaning, I do it myself. I pray. I I develop my prayer life personally. But interpersonally or corporately, we do this as well. We develop this as well of corporate prayer. I know some of you, if we got into a group and said, hey, let's just all take turns and let's pray, some of you would be freaking out, going, I don't want to pray out loud. Because it has to be developed. Yeah, I won't launch off on that. We got to move. There's too much information. 
but it is something to be developed. That's why it's a discipline. Studying the word, being in the word individually, that my relationship with God is deepening as I'm understanding who God is and he's speaking to me through his word. That's a personal spiritual discipline. But then we also do this corporately. It's what we're doing right now. We're taking a look together in the word. No, we're not having a big massive discussion. You, you got to listen to me. <laughs> but the thing is, may God get it done. I don't care about me. I, I said, Lord, I don't want to do this. Get me out of the way. He says, don't worry. I'll get you out of the way. But when we prepare, anybody who prepares to speak from God's word in front of others is desperately dependent that it will be God who does the speaking, not me, the mouth person. It's God who does that. But we come together corporately to study God's word together. And may that spawn discussions amongst yourselves. This is what God taught me in that message today. Man, God really impressed upon me. And we share that with one another. That is the corporate interpersonal thing taking place in the spiritual disciplines. The next one is doing and being. Doing. Spiritual disciplines are something that we do. They are practices. They are actions that we take in order that we might be. In order that we might be something. In 1 Timothy 4, 7, we read, discipline or train yourself for godliness. That's the B part. We get into the word, we pray, we seek the Lord, we fast, we give, we worship in these ways in order that God might transform our lives and we become more like him. That's the B part. We do in order to be. These practices are things, are practices that are modeled in the Bible. They're taught in the Bible. We see uh, giving, and we see praying, we see fasting, and we see worship, we see study of the word in the Bible. That's how we derive these disciplines. They're not things that we come up with ourselves. By the way, gardening, hiking, fishing are not spiritual disciplines. Sorry. <laughs> However, I know a number, of in who, in, a number of you in here who just love, you bask when you're out in the woods or out in the mountains or on the water or gardening, wherever it is, because you're communing with God in those moments. Maybe it's prayer, a spiritual discipline. They are practiced as spiritual disciplines are, are promoted in Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. These things, we study Scripture because it teaches us. It helps us to grow in understanding who God is and so forth, and God works in our lives, cutting away the stuff that shouldn't be there and helping us to become more pure before him. It's all about the gospel, derived from the gospel. When we think about the gospel, that God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son, that who 
whosoever would believe in him would have eternal life. The, speaking of the gospel, that Jesus, how he was, he was uh, killed, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. When we study those things and we study who God is and his love for us, it drives us to the gospel. It drives us deeper into the gospel and a deeper understanding of who God is and what it is that he, the way he has engaged us. And it's a marvel. It should, whatever we do as a spiritual discipline, it should never drive us away from God or the gospel. Lastly, means it not an end. It's a means, spiritual disciplines are a means, they are not an end. If they were an end, then all we do is the actions and call it a day. All right, I went to church on Sunday, check. I prayed at breakfast, check. Prayed up, baby. I gave 10 bucks to, for my tithe, chunk. I got my little spiritual disciplines checklist, and I'm good. This sounds familiar to me. Does it sound familiar to you? Take me. Take me. Is it me, Roger? <laughs> Woo, feeling the spirit moving, baby. <laughs> it sounds very pharisaical. Now, we do these things, they are a means. We engage in these things. These folks back here in Acts were devoted to these things. Not for those things but for seeking God together individually and as a body. And they grew. Their reputation grew and so forth. Philippians 1.6, well-known verse, but we are confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will continue and keep on working in you till the day of completion in Jesus Christ. <laughs> this thing's got me on edge now, man. So spiritual disciplines, spiritual fitness is important. So how are you doing in your spiritual fitness? How are you doing in your spiritual disciplines? Are you disciplined? Are you seeking him? Now, we'll never arrive until we're there with him. We'll never arrive. So the minute that any of us sits back and goes, all right. I shared this example a long time ago. I'll share it again. There was a commercial. I don't even remember what it was for. The commercial was a football game's going on. The team comes in at halftime, and the coach is just pounding on the, on the locker and rah, 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 just ripping into the guys for not trying harder and all that. And a player goes, but coach, aren't we ahead by 50 points? And he slams and goes, that's what I'm talking about. The minute you're satisfied, it's over. I think it's true in spiritual disciplines. It's never over. I, I think, in fact, the more we grow, the deeper we understand God's love for us and what he has done in and through our lives, the less satisfied that we are. Because we understand more and more how big God is, how great his love for us is, and it's like, oh my, the gap just seems to be growing and growing and growing. And I want to just seek him with everything I've got. Lord, help me to be disciplined. So the discipline we're going to talk about today is biblical community. 
Biblical community. That's the first one we're going to be talking about in terms of a spiritual fitness practice. I got a question for y'all. Who is the church? We are are the church. When we say this, that truth that we are the church has all kinds of levels and meanings to it. We are the church. So as we talk about biblical community, that is who we're talking about. It is us, followers of Jesus Christ. We are the church. We are the biblical community. So in this verse, well, the first main verse that George read for us there in 42, it says, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. That's biblical community. The fellowship is the biblical community. The Greek word is koinonia. Okay, koinonia, there is no English equivalent for that word koinonia. It takes number of English words to help describe what that word actually means. So we use oftentimes fellowship for the direct translation. Fellowship in our thinking is we get together, we eat, and we drink, and we hang out, and we tell jokes, we may study the word of God together, and it's a wonderful time. But it doesn't tell the whole story. It is much deeper than just fellowship. It is a holy covenantal fellowship. It is a holy covenantal. That covenantal thing means committed to one another. We are committed to one another. One lexicon puts it this way. It is a divinely intimate, holy unity among believers. And also between believers and the Lord. Involving everything from spiritual oneness in the Holy Spirit, community life, sharing contributions from money to food gifts and other things and whatever the needs may be, and the communion partaken in the body and blood of Christ Jesus. A divinely intimate, holy unity among believers. This is a spiritual discipline that must be developed I want to spend um, the rest of the time just talking about the marks of a biblical community. What does that look like? So we're breaking it down. I'm borrowing this from uh, Rick Saddleback. Rick Warren, thank you. He came up with one of these. I borrowed some from him and so forth. Marks of a biblical community. Number one, frequency. Frequency. It says in in Hebrews 10, let us not forsake or leave the habit of meeting together. The habit. Habit means we do it frequently. We do it over and over and over again. It's just what we do. Before most of you were in here this morning, sat down with a dear woman in our midst here, and she says, I just look forward to Sunday so much to come together with the body of Christ, to bask in God's presence and in the fellowship of believers is rich. That's biblical community. Let us not forsake the habit. Frequency is important. Number two, authenticity. (laughs) Authenticity. Authenticity, being honest, being transparent. 
doesn't just come right away, does it? So we're going to pass the mic around and have you confess some things. (laughs) Before the service began, I heard of a conspiracy plot that while I was in the baptismal tank, my clothes would be stolen. (laughs) So then the challenge was, would you still be showing up? I said, yeah, I'll come out here with my bathing suit. (laughs) Authenticity. What stops us from being authentic with one another? What stops us from being transparent with one another? Fear. Fear. There are three fears. Listen to these. Fear of exposure. Fear of exposure. They'll find out what I really am like. They'll find out what a trigger is in my life. And I get angry. Or I'm bitter. Or I have severe jealousy. Or whatever it may be, there's an issue in my life. And if they find out, I'll be less than. I won't be accepted. You fill in the blank. Teenagers, I know you guys talk about this kind of stuff a lot, but it's true for all of us. I've mentioned this before quite a while ago in a sermon, this illustration. I mentioned to Jesse the other night we were talking. God, if he wanted to, could all of a sudden put a little bubble above every one of our heads. You know where I'm going? With the sin issue that you deal with, or two, or three, or five. And we all could see them. I could see what you deal with, you. I go, wait, what, you? And here's the thing. I know what would happen. It would not be, I thought you were better than that. What's wrong with you? It would not be that. It would level the playing field and would humble every one of us. I think we would weep together and we would pray for one another is what I think would happen. Number two, fear of rejection. If I found out, they'll kick me out. Number three, fear of being hurt again. The fear of being hurt again. Maybe there was a time when you were transparent I hate that this happens, but it does. When somebody confesses something, they said, I'm really struggling with this, and later on it gets used against them. It's sad. It's sad that that happens. But here's the thing. We will let one another down, but God will never let us down. And we are seeking God here. We are not seeking one another. We are seeking God. And this is a way that he wants us to grow even together. But our faces must be aimed at him in this. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It's like we do a corporate 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us those sins and to cleanse us all from unrighteousness. I love that. Number three, mutuality. Mutuality. Number two on our mission statement as a church 
is eagerly serving one another. That's part of our mission, making disciples who make disciples by eagerly serving one another. That's mutuality. All the one another's, what we do for one another. In Romans 1.12, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I love how God has designed that. There's a dynamic that he has created in, among his people. That's why baptisms are so special. Because it's somebody standing in front of us all and saying, I'm a follower of Jesus. He's changed my life. And that thing that happens amongst us all where there's weeping and joy is what God is doing. This is what he's doing. And those testimonies build our faith. And so when we share with one another, it builds our faith. Mutuality. Maybe it's a prayer partner. We hold each other accountable. We need that in each other's lives. Man, what are you struggling with? How can I be praying for you? And we check in with one another, holding short accounts. Mutual encouragement. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Number three on this part of mutuality, mutual honoring, Romans 12, 10, outdo one another in showing honor. Seek to honor. I think in our humanness, we are always on guard for one another. We don't want to, we want to be sure that somebody doesn't get too proud. So we're not going to give them an encouragement. That is from the devil, you guys. That is from the enemy. There's nowhere in the world in Scripture where God says, yeah, don't encourage each other too much because people might get a big head. (laughs) It doesn't say that. If there's an arrogance issue and you notice it, talk about it. We'll get there in a minute here. Uh, a while back, I had siblings here. It was last summer visiting, and my oldest sister needed, uh, she was on an injection series, and the only place she could get it here was at the ER. And so during ER, the ER sometimes takes forever, so we were advised, go down at 6 a.m. On, on Friday or Saturday morning. So we went down at 6 a.m. Nobody was there. There was a nurse there who had been on, on duty all night. She greeted us. She had her clipboard and was helping get information. And I said, as she would begin to just turn away, I said, thank you so much. You're you're really helping us a lot. We really appreciate it. She stopped dead in her tracks. She stopped. She goes, excuse me, what did you say? I said, I really appreciate what you're doing. Thanks for serving us like this. It was evident, and it was very clear, nobody had ever encouraged her all night. They're hearing people come who are entitled or whatever it it is. Too much is going on in our world where people are demanding stuff of one another instead of gratitude and appreciation. This ought to be true right here in our midst, that we are encouraging each other all the time. We all need it. Number four, courtesy. 
Titus 3.2, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward other people, toward all people. Courtesy, respect, honor towards one another. Number five, compassion. Colossians 3.12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. What does this word compassion mean? The American Oxford Dictionary says this. Sympathetic consciousness of others' distress. Okay? A sympathetic consciousness of others' distress. It's not only an awareness, it's an understanding of what somebody is going through especially when it's a stressful thing or in distress. It's painful, whatever it may be. Uh, Then it goes on to say, together with a desire to alleviate it. It's an understanding. It's an affirming. It's hearing and listening to one another and understanding, feeling their pain. And if there's something you can do about it, you will. At minimum, you can say, I'm so sorry. You can give them a hug. Or if they're on the phone, I am with you. I wish I could help. I understand as much as I can understand, but I'm praying for you. Just listening and understanding, many times we can't fix it. But here is the thing. I know that in the counseling world, so many times when people are going through a hard thing, just being able to talk about it and putting it out in front, they come up with their own solutions. So many times. And so allowing and you being an audience and a, and a good listener for them is a way to show compassion to one another. Number six, humility. First Peter 5, 5, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Philippians 2, 3, which Philippians 2, as we know, is the humility chapter. Just study it. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I want to just say one thing about this one. (laughs) It says to count others more significant than yourself. It does not say put yourself under them. It doesn't say, put yourself beneath them, below them. It's not what it says. It says, put them above you. There is a difference. Man, Dave, I appreciate the way you led us in worship today. Man, I could never do that. You should hear my voice. It's worthless. No, I just, I couldn't sing. You see what's going on? Now it's all about me. And in fact, there's a whole lot of arrogance in that. Because in humility, it is not focused upon self. The point of the verse is, is to focus on others and encourage and lift others. Number seven, honesty. Goes back to the transparency one we talked about. But it says in Ephesians four fifteen and 16, rather, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And then we'll come into uh, maturity as a body. Speaking the truth in love. 
We're called to do this. Be honest with one another. Somebody asks you, hey, man, I'm just working in this area of my life. How am I doing? You stink. (laughs) Dude, it depends on your relationship how you relate that. Oh, no, you're fine. When you saw them not do fine. We are called to minister to one another in this way, speaking the truth in love that we may grow. Obviously, it takes a trusting relationship, but that is what we're called to do as a spiritual discipline. Number eight, mercy. Colossians 3.13, bear with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. God has shown us mercy. We have no place to not show mercy to one another. A few weeks ago, we were studying Jude. Show mercy to those who are in doubt. Show mercy to those who are lost. We ought to show mercy all the time. It is not in my place to not show mercy because God has shown mercy to me. Number nine, confidentiality. Proverbs 11, 13, there's a lot of verses about gossip. Whoever goes about slandering or gossiping reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit, keeps a thing covered. Gossip shatters community. Be so careful in this area of gossip. It's easy to couch it in, I'm really concerned, and so forth. It takes discernment to know what that is, okay? Gossip shatters community, but confidence and trust build community, Hold things in confidence. Somebody shares something you with in confidence, hold it and then, and work with them and, and pray for them. Continue to have conversations with them. Number 10, unity. Unity. Ephesians 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. We have one God, one Holy Spirit, one truth that we seek together. And we've talked much about unity in our sermons over the course of time. We can strive for unity all we want. We will not get there unless we're pointed at the Lord together. I really believe that the the sense that many of us are, are sensing on Sunday mornings when we're coming together to worship, it is because all of you are coming here to worship King Jesus. It's why you come. And when we worship together, all the differences just dissolve away. Because we're focused on him, and that brings unity. Yeah, there are times, even in these disciplines, as we, as we minister to one another, we, we, we begin to operate horizontally, but never should we operate horizontally without the vertical perspective covering all of it. That as I interact with, with Maya, she's a sister in Christ, Maya, thank you for singing for us this morning. It blessed me. I love the way you testified of God's love. It ministered to me. Okay, she goes away going, Lord, you did it. I I sang unto you this morning that your people might be ministered to. Mission accomplished because God did it. That brings unity. That brings unity. These are the marks of a healthy biblical community. 
When these are true of the church, God does amazing things in our midst. We grow together. It is something that is inexplicable. It is attractive because everybody wants that. People don't want strife. We want unity. And the other thing is, even as we read at the end of that passage, George read for us, that that community in the book of Acts had favor in the whole area. People took note of the unity of, of uh, the, the people of God who devoted themselves to doing life together in Christ. In Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. We are the church. We are the light of the world. A city on a, set on a hill can, cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp or put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. May that be true of IBC. And all of the churches here that love Jesus, that's 10, but there's one more. Perhaps the most powerful one of all, number 11, is love. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. The one who showed us how to do biblical community, who was the model of biblical community, was Jesus himself. He demonstrated all of these. He showed us how to do all of these. And he certainly showed us how to love. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Brothers and sisters, we know that Jesus did exactly that. He's saying you do the same thing. You love each other the same way. We're going, really, I'm going to have to lay my life down for Abby? Maybe. It's not likely in our society, praise God. Well, if I say I'm willing to lay my life down for Linda, would I then be willing to just give her some time? Would I be willing to give her some energy of of encouragement? Don't say you're willing to lay your life down for somebody unless you're willing to offer your body as a living sacrifice and spend time, energy, a phone call, whatever it is, to encourage a brother or sister. Jesus has done this for us. He laid his life down for us. And he said, don't you ever forget. Don't you ever forget what I have done for you.